Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. This is Sana Amanath, director of content development. This is Emily Shaw, assistant editor. And today we have a, an, another part to our Marvel method, how to design a character, and we are very excited to have Stephanie Masolansky, uh, the costume designer of Daredevil Season 1 and Jessica Jones Season 1 with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yay! We're um, we were we were very happy to have you on the Women of Marvel panel at New York Comic Con. You talked a little bit about Jessica Jones and sort of how design, you know, how you went through designing that that, that season. And we were able to show a couple images that you passed our way, um, which we will make sure that we post with along with this podcast. How'd you like that panel, actually? Because I feel like you're you're a newbie to our Women of Marvel chaos panel that happens every year. So what what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, the super panel (laughs) where we like to break the stage with all the women. Well, first of all, I had no idea what to expect. I certainly didn't expect such a huge audience. So that was my first shockeroo. And secondly, I have been involved in panels before, but again, never with so many interesting women doing a variety of jobs. A lot of big personalities up there. Yes. I, I tend to get perhaps a little quieter, only because that's my personality. I um, And so I noticed that it was necessary to sort of contain my own reactions sometimes to either responses from the audience or questions from the audience or even other people on the panel just because I knew that a camera was on me. <laughs> I needed to be careful. I, the I camera aspect is yeah. interesting. I didn't even... Okay, so I missed the, the Marvel uh, panel this year because I was throwing up and it was very sad. Oh, no. Oh, no. no, I was not hungover. I might have been a little hungover, but it was more. It was more, maybe. I don't know. I was in Sutter's apartment, actually, so it was a little bit sad for you guys. Behind the scenes, it's getting really real. But anyway, I don't feel like we filmed it the year before, so I didn't realize that we got we got well, it on camera. We've always we've always found it uh, from Marvel Live. We do a live stream um, throughout the conventions at San Diego and New York Comic Con. Um, but I think that this year we were our A game was like superb. We had a better camera. We were plugging into the sound. Um, uh, the mixer, uh, so I think that that was one of the things. But also, every year we get more and more press to that panel. Mm-hmm. We get um, we get you know standing lines and like a line out the door, standing room only. So it's definitely it's very exciting, and I'm sure it can be incredibly overwhelming. Also, just it was a huge audience, and they you know come in there loving us all and thinking we're all a certain sort of special. And I certainly we are. wanted to maintain that and not give anybody any ideas with any, you know, yeah. silly faces or, you know. Well, I, I mean, we were very rolling. <laughs> I, I think very honored to have you on because, you, you know, within the Netflix spe- spectrum, um, you know, we don't necessarily always get access to people and the fact that you came and then showed images um, to people who, you know, may not have been able to go to the Netflix panel the night before, I think was, you know, tremendous. And you had, and then obviously you had tons of questions yourself. All the, and mm-hmm. so I, I'm always excited to have like a range of people. Yeah, on the, on absolutely. The panel. Absolutely. It was it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, it was my first time. I look forward to being invited for a second time and, and you know, having more to say, being perhaps a little more comfortable. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it, I, I learn a lot also just by listening to other costume designers, listening to the young adult novelist. She was terrific. And just all of these young 
costume or uh, cosplayers. Yeah. Um, comic book artists. Oh, okay. And <laughs> there's writers. A lot of C's. Yeah. There's who, a lot of C's. Yeah, who are just who are just incredibly talented and and you know they're the. What's interesting is some of them are doing original material, and it's great. Mm-hmm. They're, it's great that they're creating the new source material. Yeah. Well, you did not seem seem uncomfortable at all. Thank you. You, you just kind of yeah blended <laughs> it my very nicely. For those um, who haven't listened to the panel, it is live, and I go a couple episodes back, and you can listen to us talk about um, the right. There were eleven women on stage, um, plus we did some Q and A. So, and we have some Q and A for you today. Please go good right segue, Judy. Good segue. <laughs> Sometimes I have good segues. It's all smooth. So, we, we, first and foremost, sort of, how did you get started in costume design? Was this the job you always wanted to do? Absolutely not. Um, I, I come from a fairly academic family, and I just assumed that I do non-art-related things when mm-hmm. I grew up. That said, I was fascinated with sewing and fascinated with sewing machines and got my first sewing machine when I was 12, and proceeded to make everything for everybody in my family, uh, everybody that I knew, boyfriends, dogs, you name it. Um, I designed clothes. I mean, I was just fascinated with the creating of garments and how to put things together, and, and I sort of roughly taught myself how to pattern at that age or drape in as much as I even knew what it meant. And um, I really loved it, and I loved... I loved the notion of fashion. I loved history at the time. I loved looking at books and seeing what people wore in throughout history. And I never at that time made any connection between the possibility of making this into a career. Uh, went to went through high school, took a year off, traveled. Um, had, at that point, I was doing a lot of photography, and I was um, everywhere I went. I took a lot of photographs, and I did that throughout college. Studied history and literature. Lived in Italy for a year. Again, never even dawned on me that I could be a costume designer. I was aware of the fashion industry, but somehow knew that that was an area that I wouldn't fit into. I couldn't really imagine myself as a fashion designer in that world. Um, and so after I graduated from college, I really had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. And I was still living in, in Madison, Wisconsin, which is where I went to school, and kind of terrified because I was 23 years old and I had no idea what to do with my life. And I just felt so old and what am I going to do? Now, of course, in retrospect, I think, my God, I figured out what I wanted to do at 23 and just that's amazing. Because yeah, yeah. every 23-year-old is like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know what? If I had to advise, I'd say just explore, experience mm-hmm. life, travel if you're able to, meet people, try different things, join the Peace Corps if that's still a possibility. Yeah. Do, do different stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've got plenty of time to decide what you want to do and then focus on it. And anyway, so that's what I did. I... It sort of came to me in an aha moment, which I won't completely go into. It, literally, I was uh, back in Minneapolis, which is where I'm from, and I was walking my dog late at night, and I passed by a uh, shop that's, that sold high-end women's clothing, and in the window was a couple of costumes from the Guthrie Theater, which is a wonderful regional theater based in Minneapolis. And I looked at them and said, I could do that. 
and it was literally a eureka moment. Wow. I said, oh my God, I could do that. I could combine my loves, my fashion, my, my sewing, my photography, my history, all that stuff. It was mm-hmm. really kind of one of those moments I'll never forget in my, in my entire life. And because it, it was a big relief again at age 23 that I finally that I and I, I knew that this was going to be what I was going to do. I wasn't awesome. going to. It was it. Yeah. And that's what I did. And I really I didn't know how to get there. Uh, the first thing I did was actually call the Guthrie Theater. I found out about an internship program and I called the theater and went and interviewed and pretty much begged them to take me. It was a little late in the season. I think they'd already made their intern choices. Plus, I had absolutely no experience in costume departments, building costumes. I'd done it for family and friends. In fact, I'd built a pumpkin costume for my cousin, and my aunt actually said to me, you should think about being a costume designer. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) maybe there was that in the back of my mind, but I did thank her for that later. Um, So I interned at at the Guthrie Theater for a year, and uh, I actually didn't do that well as a as as an intern. I I wasn't a good listener. And <laughs> <laughs> I did the opposite of what I was told to do. So at the end of that year, I wasn't invited back for a job, and I thought, well, okay, it's time to go to New York. So meanwhile, I had uh, applied for graduate school at NYU, and I'd actually gotten in. So I my intention was to go to New to New York and get a graduate degree, a master's degree in theater design and costume design. And I got to New York and kind of realized that, that well, other things came up. Number one, I realized I needed money, which I didn't have. I also wasn't sure that I was motivated to study in that way, having mm-hmm. just finished four years of undergrad. And I also got the opportunity, I got a few opportunities to work for the Juilliard costume shop, work in the Juilliard costume shop, Mm. uh, doing low-level jobs, stitching. I worked for a few costume shops in New York City as a shopper. I learned New York. I learned about fabrics. I I kind of segued into just deciding, I, I let NYU know that they could take on another person who was a better equipped to go to school. And I instead decided to work my way up from the ground. And uh, that's what I did. I was able to meet a couple of people that were willing to hire me as assistants or as second assistants. I talked to designers in the costume shops I was working in that were doing Broadway shows. I asked them how they got started. I asked them how their assistants, I asked their assistants how they got started. I did everything I possibly could to move ahead. And believe me, it was an extremely slow pace. It was in the early 1980s. There was no social media. There was, Mm -hmm. people didn't even have cell phones. People didn't even have fax machines. There was nothing. (laughs) It was the Middle Ages. It It was a much different time. It was much more difficult to connect and hook up and meet people. But I did what I could, and I was pretty social. I, uh, I met people in the, in, that had gone to school at Yale, at NYU. I was able to take some classes at the Art Students League. I learned how to draw. Um, I took classes at a couple of costume. I, I took classes at, at theater production uh, schools, for example, the new school, another one that's no longer in existence, and was able to um, learn more about the world of theater design. 
uh, not so much film design, mm. but at that point I was very focused on being a theatrical costume designer. And at one point I was frustrated. I wasn't making hardly any money, and I wasn't getting really anywhere f very fast. And I spoke to uh, one of my teachers who suggested I look into being a stylist. And I said, what's that? And she, he said, well, a stylist uh, does commercials, and a stylist gets the clothing for the actors that are in commercials or print work, but they, uh, you know, it's for commercials and print and not for theater or film. And I said, I'm going to be a theatrical costume designer. I'm not mm -hmm. going to bother with that. And he said, okay, that's fine, but take this phone number. It's a photographer friend of mine who's looking for such a person. So I went and interviewed. I sort of changed my mind. I got sort of fascinated and excited just being in a studio with other people working. And cut to six, six months later, the gentleman called me and offered me a job as a staff stylist. And that was my first job in photography. Uh, I went on to work for another um, photographer. I freelanced. I'm skipping around a lot here, but I also had the opportunity to work for a very well-known commercial director on staff as a stylist and learned a tremendous amount, particularly about fashion. His wife and producer was particularly um, well-versed in the world of fashion, and I really learned the nuances of design, of couture. I learned, I really learned how to hone my eye and understand and discover um, the world of real fashion and modern dress, and I will never regret that experience. Um, from there, I went on to freelance in the commercial world. I also, at that point, was really wishing to get into film. really didn't dawn on me about television at that point. That was an afterthought. And again, this was the mid-1980s. Television wasn't was what it is now. And um, after a series of contacts, I was lucky enough to get my first film and then a second film. I moved to Los Angeles for a brief four years, uh, continued my craft there. Didn't love Los Angeles and decided it was time to come back to New York. And at that point, I really got serious about focusing once again on getting into the film and TV world and um, sent letters and made contacts with everybody that I could possibly imagine or everybody that I knew, everybody that I met. Uh, and it was a very slow process. It was, I think, a little bit different than it is now. There's so much content and so much uh, more opportunity. Um, it, was, it was a slow process for me. I will say that I think I really paid my dues. Yeah. It what's, took years. What's interesting to me about this story is, well, two things, is one, you did actually have that moment, that moment where you're like, oh, okay, this is what I want to do, and... And that's so rare. I think that you're very lucky in that regard. But I also think that people have to sort of be aware of, like, the sort of signs that are put around them. Mm -hmm. and, um, that's, and that's hard to do. Like, you have to kind of be looking and be aware of, like, what certain things can, how you can connect with certain, you know, images or events in your life that can kind of trigger something. Yes. And that's great that you were able to do that because, you know, we really have to be, you know, very hyper aware of what... Um, the universe, the signs that the universe is giving us. I know it's kind of like <laughs> spiritual, but, but I really believe no. that. Well, I, I think it is really hard to yeah. for for people who, especially young. I mean, I think the, the 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 most important part of your story to me is like the idea that you took a year off and then you traveled and you saw the world and you experienced 
life outside of like whatever your bubble that you were Mm -hmm. and 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 that's you know to me i think that's why travel is so important to me is because you don't really know what you need to know until it's in front of your face that's true and so you know when you when you travel and you're traveling hostels and you're meeting these people in your hostels i think that is like the first moment when you're like oh this person well now especially with social media like this person lives in you know the Ukraine or lives in Japan and now I have friends with them and now you know you, the 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 door is open that way whatever that door is and I think that that is you know so essential to people now growing up because they're everyone knows everyone but you need to know someone enough for them to trust you to be like hey I have a job here's this number here's this email mm-hmm. email this person and I think that's you know what social media has helped but also at the same time now there are even more people than there's ever been. Mm-hmm. As a photographer, I assure you, that when I got into photography, there was like this niche of a community that lived in the dark room. We all lived in the dark room <laughs> together. And now it's like, I, I, I couldn't even imagine trying to be a photographer, like growing into the photography community. Now I props to everyone. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, it's true because so many people are photographers and people post their stuff on Instagram. I mean, there's, and, and some of them are really, really, really good. Yeah. There's it's it's a lot more competitive. Everything is a lot more competitive. At the same time, there are more opportunities. So yeah. you have to look at it sort of from both sides and And what's helpful for people listening is like the amount that Stephanie sort of went through to be able to get to where she is now. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, constantly negotiating and taking one job and going to the next thing and the next thing and it's really building your career and I think in this day and age actually with social media and all the technology we have we get very impatient with things happening immediately and needing to happen immediately. And that's, you know, that's very much something that's the millennial generation. That's yes. sort of what what we get agitated with. But it's important to remember that, like, a lot of these things do take time. And also for you to figure out what you want and what you're good at also takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, like, when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see that things are kind of moving in a linear fashion. I mean, now that you tell this story, looking back at the course of your career, it sounds like, oh, sure, you evolved from theater, then you moved to film and photography, and, like, it sounds like it's a line, but when you're in it, I'm sure it feels like, oh, what am I doing? This feels random. I'm feels taking random. this job. I'm taking mm-hmm. this job. And so, like Sana was saying, like, having the patience to sort of, like, take the jobs as they come, and then, you know, when you look back, you'll see that there's a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And, and also, like you mentioned a bunch of jobs, um, I'll sort of segue into another question I have you. But so you mentioned all these different jobs. I think that for people who don't have any, just have like a front facing of costume designer, it's a that's a broad spectrum. But mm-hmm. a costume designer for uh, for theater is very different than a costume designer for film or TV. And also within that spectrum, like is it historical TV? Is it modern TV? Is this like a is this you know like um, American Horror Story? Like like how different it is. And then you also like you mentioned being a buyer and like uh, and then working within the shops and all this stuff and like a stylist. All these people do uniquely different things. But all like I think all those jobs can intertwine so you could if you wanted you know to start out as a buyer which basically they buy things you could depending on the shop you either buy fabrics or notions or you buy you actually go buy physical objects or rent them from stores depending on your system but and and I think that that's probably the most interesting thing is that I've you know been meeting more and more costume designers lately and like obviously Anne works Anne Foley who's the costume designer and agent to shield like she works on an eight-day schedule but she works like on set in a studio sometimes on location but then then there are like movie costume designers who spend all their time 
you know, months before prepping and then, you know, their assistants and, and dressers and people like that are on set to manage. But you're on set every day. Why don't you talk a little bit like what you do on set? What is your job? Okay. Well, TV is a, is greatly different than, than film, although just just before this podcast started, you and I were discussing how similar they're becoming and how particularly because of the quality that's required now, that's demanded by viewers in particular, uh, especially something like Netflix. I mean, mm-hmm. every... I feel as though every episode that we do is practically uh, an hour-long movie. Uh, the biggest difference between movies and television is the lack of prep time. Once you start shooting a television series, you do not stop. You go from episode to episode, day to day, and oftentimes you overlap, and you sh- you're shooting two episodes, even three episodes in one day. And then you're talking about having two teams of people. Uh, you almost feel like you're shooting two shows at once. So... A lot is demanded and a lot is required in order to maintain the quality that is now available and out there and that is insisted upon by fans and viewers. Um, so what was your original question? Uh, <laughs> what do you do on a daily oh, basis? <laughs> okay. um, well, um, let's see. How far back do I go? Well, on a daily basis, let's say that we've started to shoot. Or let's go back a little further. We're still in prep. Of course, prep insists, prep uh, includes lots of meetings. Well, the first thing that I do when I'm trying to figure out this show in particular is I go back to the source material. Mm-hmm. I go back to the comics. For example, for Jessica Jones, I learned that Brian Bendis created Jessica Jones. I went back to his material. I looked at some of the other comics that he'd created. I learned that uh, Jessica Jones was the first really for adults uh, comic book comic that was created in the Marvel universe. Um, if not the first, then one of the first. I think the first, though. It was that era with Joe Quesada, right? Where yeah. we, did, we did much more Max books. Yes. Yeah. And it was very dark. It was very adult format. Um, there were a lot of swear words utilized. Mm-hmm. There was not complete nudity, but it came close. And uh, it, all in all, it was an extremely dark and dramatic era, and I, that that really appeals to me. I'm I'm much more of a drama cost, drama costume designer than a romantic comedy costume designer. It just appeals to me more. It's what I enjoy watching, and it's what I enjoy doing. I, it draws me in, and, and I'm able to really get even further involved and uh, excited about the work. Um, so that's the first thing that I do is look at the source material. Um, really study the characters, look how they were drawn, look at the various styles of the artists who, because throughout, throughout generations, and if, particularly if a, if a comic character lasts, um, each, I'm not sure, is it called a volume, or each series of comics, mm-hmm. it, they're often written and drawn by different artists. Yeah. So each time, it's a it's a different look, it's a different vibe. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to really um, surround myself by that and really understand and really see the evolution of the characters. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I did um, once I knew that I had the job. And I really loved reading Alias, and I loved learning about Jessica Jones. I mean, she really seemed like a real-life character. I mean, she... Uh, had this experience where she was in a horrible accident, which a lot of the super a lot of the superheroes are either born with 
with their um, powers, or they are in crazy accidents, which yes. create their powers. Classic origin story. Classic yes. origin story. <laughs> so in her case, she had a terrible accident. She wound up with these incredible powers, and she, at, at a certain point, decided to become a hero and utilize her powers to help people. And then, unfortunately, she got involved with Kilgrave, the Purple Man. And that was a horrific situation and a, and a terrible period in her life, which when she finally tore away from, she realized that she really had been traumatized and had a form of P PTSD. And it, it infected her terribly. It, it, it affected her terribly. It, she became an alcoholic. She became withdrawn. She uh, was able to enter that dark era of, a, of more adult-style comics in that way. And um, that's pretty much where we, as a television show, are picking up. And we're, uh, we're presenting Jessica Jones as a person who has already gone through this horrible situation with this evil man named Kilgrave, or as known in the comics as the Purple Man, memorialized by David Tennant. <laughs> um, <laughs> And she's now, she's become a, a private investigator, and she drinks too much, and she really kind of cloaks herself against the world. She's very introverted. She doesn't, she doesn't seem to have any friends. She spies on people. Um, we'll find out more about that later. I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, she, um, she seems to have a, a type of, ins of an obsession with a neighbor of hers. And... Um, she spies on him, takes photos, watches what he does. And you don't really know why that's happening until later on in the series, and I'm not going to divulge that right now. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> I, I think I'm the only one here who has actually seen an episode because I was lucky enough to see it near Comic-Con. They mm -hmm. showed the first episode. Uh, and it, uh, you know, it's, it's an, an entrance into another, you know, another era, I think, of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe of, like, you meet, you meet Jessica and you meet these other characters and, and, and you're also, like, in New York City, in a different sort of section in New York City, and it's it's simple and amazing, but also at the same time, whenever you sort of see the Purple Man or David Tennant comes on, it's very creepy. I was talking about the purple aura mm -hmm. that sort of appears, um, but it's filmed really beautifully. A little different, little. Um, not, it's it's not Daredevil, but it's still Daredevil. Um, it's dark in a different way. Yeah, I think there's. Whereas I think that uh, Daredevil, the color was really kind of sucked out of it, and you almost at times felt as though you were watching something in black and white or in shadows. Mm -hmm. um, the color color is utilized in Jessica Jones to make it dark, and it's it's a really different approach. I, I really appreciated going from one to the next and seeing those differences. You talk. Sorry, go ahead. And uh, we may be asking the yeah. same question. Speaking of sort of like approach and color, is this something like as far as when you're designing? costumes for these characters, do you collaborate with the set designer and the director and kind of talk about mood and tone, or do you kind of work separately, decide what you think will work for the character based on the source material, and then sort of collaborate at the end stage? No, the collaboration is extremely important, particularly when you're working with a company like Marvel, which is basing these shows on or source material, on, on an origin story and on source material that's so important and, and completely, I mean, it, this is why these shows exist. So it's all about collaboration, and it's all about honoring the source material, as well as honoring the fans who are, you know, addicted 
to these comics and who, you know, this is why we're doing this. We want to make sure that the fans ultimately are very happy. So there is a lot of collaboration. There's collaboration with the people at Marvel. Uh, there's also collaboration with, in particular, the, the set designer, a, a wonderful uh, production designer named Lauren Weeks, who he and I go way back um, couple of decades actually for the, you know having met when we were younger doing different television shows and now we're both thrilled to be on we've been now we've done this is our third Marvel show together and we definitely collaborate and I speak to him all the time we want to make sure that our colors work together that our textures work together uh, it's, it's very important and also of course you know if for every for every episode there's a concept meeting there's a then there's a there's a costume meeting, and then there's a production meeting where it all comes together, and we all discuss every possible aspect of the production and what's going to happen, what props are necessary, what sets are necessary. The concept meeting is an overall broad meeting where we really determine, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the episode itself, and it's, it's sort of more of a broad strokes um, meeting where general questions come up and some specifics and um, once we get to the costume meeting, I've started to get my casting. I've learned from the, um, from of course, from the concept meeting. I've read the script. I've spoken to a couple of more people. I've spoken to the production designer. And I've started to um, think about how I want to present these characters. Some of the characters have already been established. Some of them are principals, and they're going to you know, be, be in the, the next episode. Others are new characters being um, introduced. Some of them be, go on to become very important in the story. Others are what's known as day players, and they're just there for the episode. Some of them have a large role in the episode. Sometimes, some, sometimes they only have one line. Um, but, you know, they're all important. They all help to tell the story, mm -hmm. and it's all important to have a cohesive look. And uh, something that's extremely important to me, I love interesting costume design. I love to know that the audience looks at what we do and has a moment of great fascination and appreciation, maybe not even knowing why, but then is, is not at all distracted from the dialogue. It's important that they are able to focus on the dialogue and remember what's happening and go on. Um, every once in a while it's fun to know that they have to list, go back and listen to something again just mm -hmm. because they were so enthused about the costume they're mm -hmm. watching. But really, it's important that it all works together, that everything is of equal importance. And um, I'm not somebody who thinks that costume design should be invisible. That is not my philosophy at all. Mm -hmm. I really love costume design, and I love to know that it's integral in the uh, invention of the character, in the way the character, in the way the actor sees himself. Nothing makes me happier than for to be in, an, to be in a, um, a fitting and have an actor go, ah, Okay, I'm getting close now. I'm seeing, I'm seeing more. Um, uh, one of the actors recently said to me, "The uh, my first fitting is like a first rehearsal. Mm -hmm. It's where I first start to realize Interesting, yeah. what it's going to be and what I'm going to look like." Yeah. And I work very closely with the actors as well. Um, you don't do that so much when you're styling commercials. It's it's, right. a, it's a whole it's it's about the product. But when you're doing a show, you work with you work closely with actors. You want to know. I always ask ask actors: Are there any colors that don't work for you? Are there any mm -hmm. uh, 
is there anything? Mostly what we're doing right now is modern dress. So I'm, I'm able to ask those questions. Right. I'm not building 18th century corsets where sure. I don't really care if you're not comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to be comfortable. <laughs> right. But in this case, it does. it is modern dress. It needs to look real and natural. And it needs to work within the context of the story and within the context of the actor being able to play his role. Yeah, it's such an important part of the, the not only just the production, obviously, but the narrative mm-hmm. of the story and the character that you're trying to re- represent. Absolutely. So that's, Absolutely. W- one thing which I think is what's happening right now in ter- when you see sort of what's happening in studios or happening in tele- what's happening in television in terms of the translation of uh, the costumes from the comic page to the screen like what is it that you're you're taking into account like you know you're something like daredevil you know can i think you know you were right like you were saying earlier readers just have um they have a higher expectations in terms of the quality but also like the level of honestly cheese that we're going to present with the costumes that we have we can't really get away with underwear over the tights kind of situation no, anymore it's not like that it has to be Spanics. a little bit realistic especially with something like netflix mm-hmm. What is, you know, how do you sort of balance having it believable and realistic, but also, like, authentic to what we do, which is kind of have characters who have this really bombastic sensibility to an extent and that are really vibrant and stand out in their own right because, you know, they're heroes and they have to. Right. Well, first of all, um, that's absolutely true what you're Mm -hmm. saying. And one of the first things that was conveyed to me when I was called about my first job on Daredevil was... These are, in fact, I think it goes further. When I was reading about it on Deadline, Mm -hmm. and I said to myself, I want to get that job, Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that really appealed to me was that the philosophy was to really create an authentic, gritty New York world, something that could be uh, real, something where the audience didn't have to feel like, wait, this, this feels like a comic book. No, wait, it's supposed to be real. We really had to merge and blend the two worlds and yeah. make it into something that felt as though it could conceivably happen. And to that end, you know, when um, when Daredevil uh, discovered, I don't remember the character's name. When Daredevil, well, when Daredevil discovered that Wilson Fisk was having his suits made with armor by a particular costume designer by uh, Gladiator, Melvin Potter. Melvin yeah, Potter. Yeah. When Daredevil discovered that that uh, there was the existence of this character named Melvin Potter who originally was a costume designer Mm -hmm. and became a tailor who was hired to make Wilson Fisk suits and line them with an an armor he realized that he needed something like this or he was just he was going to wind up dead Yeah, because he may have trained himself to become an, an extremely strong and powerful fighter but he was still a human being and his skin could be pierced and he was he was very badly hurt in some of those fights, as you all remember, and as I'm sure the audience remembers. So when he realized that he could get a suit created by Melvin Potter and he could start a relationship with him that, yeah. uh, uh, in which uh, he would benefit and also in which Melvin Potter wouldn't be terrified that if he didn't help uh, him, something would happen to his loved ones um, because... Daredevil wasn't Wilson Fisk, and you know Matt, Mur- Matt Murdock was not Wilson Fisk, and wasn't an evil person. Was a very humane and plausible person who wasn't like that. Um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> caught up here. Um, so the the relationship between um, 
between Melvin and uh, Matt Murdock or Daredevil felt very authentic. And even though Jessica Jones is a different kind of a superhero costume, um, it all feels extremely authentic. And that was, that's the point I'm really trying to make, is that was the, the, the strongest, the most important philosophy about creating all of these series, is that it had to feel real. And it, we had to remember not to necessarily, not to or try not to take our characters out of this authentic, mm-hmm. in real life style mm-hmm. type of world that we yeah. were creating. I think it's great, too, that you have this background in theater, ultimately, like, sort of your origin story, one might say, Um, because I think that there is something incredibly theatrical about the comic book form and what we do and the types of costumes we we create, and so blending that that theater with a more realistic medium like film or television, Mm -hmm. you're trying to find that perfect sort of medium, and so it seems like you have sort of the ultimate background for that. You have the theater background as well as the film design, so... I and think even, it translates. Even doing TV commercials did not. Uh, uh, that that was also experience that, and that I would I would say you know it's it's a very authentic and real and good experience for people that are looking to get into this business. Um, it's it's all important and it, it helped me figure out how to create characters that were also looked authentic and real and that you'd believe were trying to sell you something. <laughs> Um, so getting back to what I do on a day-to-day basis, all of these meetings have to happen, and you start to, and you, you know, you do the first thing that you do, you know, once you've had your meetings and have figured out the direction you want to go with various characters, you do one of two things. You either shop for these characters or you build their clothes, and both are very valid and both are very important, and I do both on all of my shows, and I love doing both. I love discovering the perfect hat, the perfect accessory, the perfect pair of pants, the perfect look, the perfect colors. And I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking right now about David Tennant and his character Kilgrave mm-hmm. and how I, when I started the show, I intended to build all of his clothes. I couldn't imagine ever being able to find what I knew I wanted to, to um, put him in. And as it turned out, I didn't make anything for him. Everything existed. I was really fortunate to discover that a designer named Paul Smith um, was doing a lot of stuff in Shades of Purple that last year. And not only that, but David Tennant walked into his clothes like nobody's business. Yeah. Barely, bar- bar- you know, practically all you needed to do was the hem. And he really just, it all, a lot of it really worked. But, um, so you either, I, I, I either shop for clothing or I shop for fabric, and I shop for, you know, you have, I, and I have a team. I don't do it all by myself. I yeah. have lots of, I work with tailors. I work with, um, I have a, I have two assistants. I have a lot of production assistants. I have, of course, as you were saying before, I have a team of people on set every day who maintain the wardrobe and, and if we establish a costume one day, they maintain that look when we go back and shoot different portions of that character being in that same costume throughout the day. I don't have to be there every single time this person works once the costume is established. So we shop or we start to uh, build clothes. We do fittings. We take measurements uh, if, if I'm building the clothes. We shop. We have fittings and um, we start putting things together. We do alterations. We change things. We also have a very important person on our team called an ager dyer. And this person has to age 
and dye and what we call tech so much of our clothing. Uh, we, if for example, we do a, we do a scene and we do a, a series of scenes in which everybody is in jail and wearing perhaps either a bright orange jumpsuit or a one of the forest green jumpsuits or a white and black striped jumpsuit. All of those have to be aged and huh. and teched. I don't even think about I that. Totally <laughs> yeah. that. It's yeah. a huge job to go from concept to yeah. on camera. Yeah, it's yeah, So yeah. many things have to happen. That's so many, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, in, in, in order to make it look effortless, so much effort has to go into yeah. it. You know, I mean, it, it really is... It really is something, and it's really something, you know, the process I find fascinating. So when it's on the screen, are you, like, when you actually watch it, an episode for the first time, are you, like, just analyzing everything, or you just, do you let it go? Or are you like, nope, just going to give it up? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, sometimes I, I remember with delight about mm-hmm. what we had to do to get to something. Sometimes I, re- I remember with horror about what we had to do <laughs> to get to something. It's uh, like every book that we put out, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I can't do it. Can you watch it, though, and you don't have a problem, like... Because sometimes I don't read the books that I put out because I'm just like, ugh, I can't. I yeah. need some distance. But well, do you feel comfortable, like, just watching it? Sure. I mean, sometimes I'm just too close, and it's hard for me to watch it and appreciate it. But I, I will say that so far, uh, the Netflix, I haven't had the opportunity to watch Jessica Jones yet, but I was completely hooked on Daredevil. Yeah, it was good. And <laughs> I loved it. I just, I loved the emotion. I loved the depth of the characters, I love the way I love the writing. I love the way I love the good and the bad in everybody. I I love the backstory to Wilson Fisk. I loved helping to create that backstory. Um, I mean, that's where the history that I that I studied and love so much mm-hmm. comes in. I I love creating the history of a person, and I I love thinking about where they're where they've been, where they're going, how they used to dress. I really enjoy flashbacks a mm-hmm. lot. I love going, I love doing period costumes. And because I've, I, I guess I've created a little bit of a niche for myself where I'm most often hired to do modern dress. And I love it. As I said, I love fashion. I love character. I love all of it. I do really enjoy those moments where we do get to do flashbacks. Even if it's the 90s, the 80s, it's all different. Ten years ago, we dressed differently than we do now. And it's the nuances that mm-hmm. that make it look authentic and make it uh, feel as though it was a different era or a different period. And even if the uh, audience is not completely aware of it somewhere on a subconscious level, they might be. And if it's wrong, it's going to distract them. And that's not what we want. So all you fans out there, anytime that you're criticizing that we did something wrong, just just here, I hope you've heard like all the hard work and detail oh, yeah. that we put into everything that we do. The nuances, the flick of the hair, all the we think about these things. So just don't just try not to yell at us as much. For example, I'm doing I'm doing but I will say I'm doing a character right now where I'm building all of his clothes and mm-hmm. I'm having such a great time. There's so much detail to go involved to that's involved and I have built uh, five suits. For, we're building five suits for him. Mm-hmm. And just the fun in pick, choosing the buttons for the suits, because mm-hmm. to me, the buttons had to say something about the character. And there are some gorgeous buttons out there. And we, we chose some really 
phenomenal buttons for this particular set of suits for this particular character, and I look forward to talking about it. The next yeah, time. we will obviously next bring you on. We'll talk about this 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 other show yeah. that may be coming out. Yes, maybe. So yeah, I mean, as as a cosplayer, I never appreciated. Uh, uh, how much work went into the, the notions or the basics or getting something dirty until I was making costumes. Mm-hmm. And I will say that making things dirty and bloody is by <laughs> far the most joyful thing, like going outside and literally having someone stand in a costume and you spray, like, fake blood at them. <laughs> if you have not tried it at home, guys, I highly suggest it. We are recording this the day before Halloween, although this will not air. Uh, this will not be live until after Jessica Jones is live on November 20th. Um, but, you know... Uh, but definitely appreciate all of the work that Stephanie and all of her assistants and and team works on um, both. You know, go back and watch Daredevil season one again. Like, I think that the, the moment where I wanted to see the show was when I first saw Wilson Fisk in that white suit standing, or in that, what, suit, what it color? It was a black suit in front yeah. of the white painting. Yes. Oh, that right. was oh, the right. moment I was like... Because I'm not a huge fan of gore or, like, violence, but I was like, I need to watch this show. Mm-hmm. It's got to happen. And then I couldn't stop watching it. It's beautiful. It's stunning. Well, if I may do a shout-out to Michael Andros Bespoke, who does a lot of my tailoring, and they are geniuses. Um, we had a lot of fun creating and designing uh, the details of his suits. And I would say that that image of him standing with his back to the audience and just looking at the shape of the shoulders of that mm-hmm. suit yeah. was just a magnificent experience yeah. for me. I said to myself, wow, that's great tailoring. <laughs> <laughs> but that was also the element when all the different pieces, all the different departments that you work with came together. There was the, the lighting from the mm-hmm. photographer, the, the set design, the, the location scout, the, the costume design. All of these elements came together and was wine. And that's just one of hundreds of moments from that show and I can't mm-hmm. wait to see Jessica Jones and see more of these purple elements. Oh yeah. Oh David Tennant, yeah. Yeah. So. It's going to be fun. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I, I do have to also mention from that scene that you're talking about the other moment that I really appreciated and this is a, yet another high fashion moment um, was watching the character Vanessa walk sidle up to him in that beautiful mm-hmm. walk that she had wearing that stunning Victoria Beckham dress that so just fit her like nobody's business yeah. and uh, it was it was really a, a nice sight to behold and, and a moment that I, I as a I had to give myself a, a pat on the back I don't often do that but <laughs> I really liked that moment that image a lot well, I, I think we've been uh, we've been talking for almost forty five minutes. This is an amazing podcast. <laughs> I, I know. Could I talk feel like forever. we could just keep talking about this, yeah, but I we, think we, we have, have to go back to our day jobs. <laughs> get, get you back to set um, on the secret show that you're working yes. on. Secret um, button show. Secret button show. We'll call it button, button show, show as a placeholder <laughs> until we can talk about the real show. So, uh, as we recorded this before November twentieth, but Jessica Jones is now on uh, on Netflix. Go and stream, watch all of the episodes. Go back and watch Daredevil season one and. Uh, and get ready for Daredevil season two. But obviously, Jessica Jones is amazing. Um, we want to thank you, Stephanie, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really have had a great time. Yay. Hopefully, we can have you back again, and hopefully, we can have you again uh, at New York Comic Con next year for Please another ask. amazing Woman of Marvel <laughs> panel. Uh, I think uh, that's yeah, it. Thanks for yeah. being here. It was awesome. Thank you. Okay. We'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>